Beer and Honey, the German football pod. Beer and Honey, the German football pod. Today, narrow wins for Bayern and Dortmund keep the title race going, while in the bottom, just when you thought they were out, they're back in. Schalke are bottom as Stuttgart pull clear thanks to their new coach, Sebastian Hoeneß. All of this and more in this week's Beer and Honey. I'm Rafael Honigstein. And I'm Christoph Biermann. Today it's from review to preview, from Friesburn to Sunburn, and from Pep to Peppy, Raphael. Um, <laughs> so that leaves you puzzled, uh, as, as I can see. Um, uh, maybe the review to preview, I think it's, it's pretty obvious. Uh, the Pep to Peppy, we will talk about later. The freeze burn to sunburn is. Um, I have a slight sunburn. What? After because uh, on Easter Monday, I, in the morning, I watched um, the semi-final of the new uh, German Under 19 Championship between Hertha and uh, Borussia Dortmund. Borussia Dortmund was winning four nil in Berlin, and I was sitting in the sun. And, and after freezing for like six months, all of a sudden it was hot and now I have a slight sunburn. It's crazy. It's absolutely... You look a little bit like the Austrian national flag. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, so it's red, white, red. I, I think it looks more like the Chinese flag uh, <laughs> without the stars. Um But um, from review to preview, I mean, we have a lot to talk about. Uh, we, we had the uh, quarterfinal of the German Cup combined with the, with the Bundesliga this uh, weekend. And we have the, uh, the Champions League on um, with a fantastic uh, match between Manchester City and Bayern Munich. Raphael, what have you learned last week? Um, about uh, Bayern München under Tuchel and their doubleheader <laughs> against uh, Freiburg in the Cup uh, at home in Munich and in the Bundesliga away in Freiburg. Well, I have learned that playing without a striker continues to be difficult for Bayern, which is not a new realization, but perhaps one that's especially painful for Thomas Tuchel, who spent the best part of his time at Chelsea playing without a striker or playing without a striker that worked for him when Lukaku came. And what was a decent performance, certainly in the uh, Bundesliga game against Freiburg, became a very nervy and slightly disconcerting performance simply by virtue of Bayern not taking the chances. Uh, Leroy Sané had two one-on-ones with the keeper. Serge Gnabry could have easily scored two goals and we'd be talking about a 3-0, 4-0 win. It'd be saying, you know, Bayern are really in form going into this game. And as it is, they have to suffer, they have to worry and it's a 1-0 win which kind of leaves them a little bit puzzled and a little bit unsure of why things are not happening for them. So I would say the performance was better than the result. The performance warranted a better result. And maybe the same is true of the 
Cup game where they lost in the last minute in quite dramatic circumstances, which of course was very painful for this Bayern team because they were playing to win the treble with Thomas Tuchel and uh, in one second that treble dream was was gone, was bust like a balloon and they are left with two opportunities, one of which of course is very difficult with that Manchester City game in the quarterfinals coming up. So I guess the bottom line is uh, Tuchel is not a miracle worker. Tuchel can't magic up a new centre-forward. Tuchel will have to find a way to work with individuals because it feels to me that there isn't so much wrong with Bayern as a team anymore, but you still have individuals who sort of below their own possibilities, their own potential. Leroy Sané is one example. Sadio Mane is not quite at his best. Serge Gnabry is not quite at his best. Jamal Musiala is not at his best. So I think if Tuchel works with these individuals, then collectively we'll see a better performance from Bayern. But of course, there's no time to work because they have this game against City. My belief, Christoph, and we can go into the preview at this point, is that Tuchel will set up Bayern to counterattack. Uh, not to push uh, and press City too high. It's a tactic that worked for him with Chelsea. It's a tactic, I think, that also works for the players that Bayern have because there's no centre forward. So having more spaces to attack on the break might suit the likes of uh, Sané and Gnabry and maybe Coman who might also start. And the key will be playing without possession but with a degree of control and aggression that um, that Bayern will need to keep this Man City team at bay. I don't I don't see them pressing high. I think their pressing game has been poor, going back now the best part of two years, and I don't think there's enough time to get it right quickly enough to play like that against City. We saw when Liverpool tried it, what happened to them. I don't think it would be a good idea. I think Tuchel will be a lot more pragmatic. Shubu Moting. Um is not traveling uh, to Manchester. He will be out um, for sure. Um, so I think it's pretty obvious uh, that um, what you said is might be or will be uh, the plan. What, what, there was one scene at Freiburg after Bayern won. Um, the Kimmich incident, maybe, maybe, maybe it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's too unimportant to to call it like this. But 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 I think it was pretty telling because after um, after Bayern won one nil, um, so you would expect everybody is shaking hands, leaving the pitch. Um, uh, Freiburg a bit disappointed, but uh, they, I, I think, they could see that Bayern was by far the better team not taking their chances. But but then Joshua Kimmich went to the home end and kind of celebrated in front of the fans. Not not very obviously, but but it, it, it looked strange. And then um, some of the uh, Freiburg players came to him and pushed him. And there was a, a kind of mini brawl. Um, so, so what do you, do you make out of it? I, I think it's um, Christian Streich was saying afterwards he, um, that yeah, maybe it shows that they the players and especially Kimmich who is he who is 
always demanding so much of himself and uh, of his team is um, um, that they were so much under pressure and um, but is it is it only this or is there more I don't think there's more I think um, Joshua Kimmich said after the game he was a bit annoyed by Freiburg celebrating that cup win <laughs> they did a big uh, video presentation Before the game, the stadium announcer said, and here we are again after winning in the cup. Um, not the sort of thing that you think would really uh, bother a Bayern player very much. But I think in combination with the pain from that defeat and with you, with the pressure, as you said, um, Kimmich vented and uh, had to sort of look for a way to get rid of that emotions and uh, maybe anxiety after the final whistle celebrating in a way that he later said was was over the top, admittedly, and seemed a little bit embarrassed by it, in fairness. Um, look, Kimmich tried very hard during the game to talk to Sané, to be nice to Mane, to talk to Musiala. I think he was trying to get these players to perform and to find a bit of confidence that's missing. And I think he knew how important that result was because... After losing in the cup, I think it would have been unthinkable to go into the City game on the back of losing or even drawing the game at Freiburg, which probably would have meant Dortmund taking over the the league lead again and giving Bayern even more of a, of a bad vibe going into that game. And I think they wanted to avoid that at all costs and try to build up a bit of momentum. So... I think it is an insight into certainly Kimmich's psyche, uh, perhaps into the team's psyche as well. But in the end, I think it became a story because of the reaction if the Freiburg players would have just said, you know what, let this guy celebrate, who cares what he does. Uh, things uh, would have died down quite quickly, but they, they felt a need to confront him about it. And then there was this pushing and shoving, as you said, At least no one got elbowed by the referee. So um, by, uh, by Premier League standards, it was all very tame. Stuff. Uh, last week I was in Munich. Um, uh, it was on the day after, after um, uh, Bayern lost to Freiburg. And I was talking to, um, to um, one of the people at, um, at Bayern. And I found it interesting that the discussion was mostly about how to get a team together to have this kind of they um he was saying so we have a lot of great individual players but um how do we get them together as a group how do we get them into a kind of flow and so i mean we did, we have discussed a, a, around this topic uh, a lot because you could see that they couldn't create what they had created under Hansi, Hansi Flick. And, and he was making a point that he was saying, um, these players, especially at, at the top teams um, that are individually so good, they have come to these teams uh, because they are so good individually. I mean, if you compare them with my friends from Union Berlin, for example, very average players who know um, that it's, It's important for them to work as a group, to that they have a great cohesion uh, and so on. And, and that it's probably more difficult to create something like this within a group of 
star players or, or great individual players. What, what's your thinking about it? Yes, it is more difficult when you have 22 players who all have a big ego and all feel they should be playing and why am I on the bench? I'm the best player in Germany. I'm the best young player in Holland. And what is all this? Um, and then it can come only, I think, from two, two places. It can come from a coach who makes either everyone love or hate him so much that they become a unit, <laughs> united in their hate or in their love for the coach. That's one way. The other way is that they um, they become a unit by winning and then everyone kind of accepts that in order to win, you have to have the structure and it means, okay, I will play less, but I'm still a part of it and I will have to do to be the best possible substitute to help my team win. Again, I think a lot to do is uh, down for, to the work of a coach who can make these play players also feel important. Um But these are really the only possibilities. Um, I think with Bayern, they have amassed a squad that is perhaps too big. But they wanted it to be like that because their thinking was domestically, we might not be challenged that much. So we have to create the competition internally. We have to have a competition for places. We have to keep the energy high, the focus high. Everybody wants to play. That's going to create this positive friction. Um, people will try to push each other on in the competition for places. And I'm sure that works for some players, but for others, perhaps it doesn't. Others perhaps need the confidence to know that they're, they'll be starting, need the confidence to know that they have a certain position in the team, that they're not in and out the whole time, that they not have different positions um, where they have to play from one week to the next. It's a very complex system. As uh, Otmar Hitzfeld used to say, it's a finely tuned motor and you only need one or two screws to be in the wrong place or not tight enough for the thing to, um, to not work at its optimum level. So yeah, it's an interesting one. I think there is cause for optimism if we saw what happened against PSG where um, there was a real connection on the pitch between the players and also connection with the crowd when they, especially when they were defending and they were really putting in the kind of effort that crowds respond to when it comes to running and tracking back and winning these 50-50 challenges. And I think the history so far of the season suggests that Bayern can raise their game when it really matters in those big games, but perhaps struggle to have the same focus in those smaller ones and... Tuchel, I think, will try to change that, but he probably doesn't have enough time to address these issues. Now he has to deal with more mundane problems like positioning and what kind of tactics do we do. I think he can only address sort of the wider, bigger concerns in the off-season. Another team where some screws were loose um, last week <laughs> uh, was Borussia Dortmund. Uh, we already talked about their loss at, um, at Munich, um, but uh, a few days later they traveled to the quarterfinal of the German Cup um, in Leipzig. A shocking display when they went out 2-0. Uh, Everybody was deeply frustrated. Now, it was a bit better. No, it was not a bit better. It was 
much better uh, with their very important 2-1 win um, against Union Berlin. Um, and also, interestingly, like, like a natural reflex when it comes about Borussia and when they are not playing well, the mentality <laughs> discussion was all of a sudden uh, was, was uh, back again. So um, what's your interpretation of this 2-1 win? Was it that they found again the right mentality or was it simply that compared, for example, to the, the game in, um, in Leipzig, where they played Daniel Malen as a, a center forward. It didn't work at all because Sebastian Allaire uh, was ill. He couldn't, couldn't play. He was back. Also, Karim Adeyemi was back. I, I found him very influential um, in, the, in the win against uh, Union. Um, uh, but was it? So, so what it, was it a more normal... A football thing, uh, and yeah, you have better players now, and they help you to win win the game. Or did you they find back their mentality? What, how, how did you see it? I think it's very hard to explain why Dortmund sometimes don't show up and don't perform at the level that we expect them to. But perhaps these things are connected. Perhaps having only the second best team in Germany with the second best players in Germany also means that they have the second best mentality when it comes to being focused and, and winning all the time. Although we have said that Bayern, uh, perhaps by their own standards, are also a little bit short on that, at least this season. Maybe these things go together. Maybe really top players perform all the time, don't make mistakes or make few mistakes, have fewer lapses of concentration, have fewer games where, for whatever reason, they can't perform. And what seems to be more like the curse of the team or the club is actually just the sum of the individual problems that they have. But it's it's hard to know. I mean, you have other teams where you feel that all they have is the mentality and there's not much football. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, with Dortmund, it seems almost uh, there's a tension between the football and the mentality, which, of course, shouldn't be. It, it, it goes together. Um, but it was a good performance. It was a good reaction. The substitutes also worked. Mukoko and Royce uh, were influential for the, for the winner with 10 minutes to go. And it keeps them in the run. And Bayern are not, not perfect this season. I think if Bayern managed to get past Manchester City, then we will again be in a situation where Bayern will find it maybe hard to have the same focus and concentration in the league. And Dortmund, uh, with having nothing else to play for and a lot of time now to rest in midweek, it's not inconceivable that if they can keep track with Bayern on the last day of the season, suddenly they win a game and Bayern draw a game and that's enough. Yeah. So we should just be happy that Dortmund are still there and uh, provide a challenge for Bayern. And it's not over yet. And interestingly, I, I think it was also a very a big win almost because um, it was one of the best performances by Union in recent weeks. Union looked a bit tired, a bit worn out, and they looked fresh again in, in, in Dortmund. And um, 
Interestingly, a bit, this 2-1 by Mukoko, who you already mentioned, um, he, he scored the winner, was a bit against the runoff uh, of the play. So, so um, especially in the second half, the performance of Union was very good after their the equalizer. And, and it looked a bit as if they had a Borussia in the ropes, but... Um, managed to uh, Borussia managed to to win it so I think everybody had a very happy Easter weekend uh, in Dortmund let's go from Dortmund to another team um, that we have have praised in in recent weeks and um, and again we can say I can we can repeat what we uh, have said is, The team to watch right now in the Bundesliga, if you want to see uh, jet speed football, is uh, Bayer Leverkusen and probably uh, the man uh, of this weekend is Florian Wirtz um, when they were winning 2-1 against Frankfurt. Yeah, Florian Wirtz was wonderful. Leverkusen were wonderful again, their seventh win in a row which uh, really shows how much momentum they have, how much consistency they found with Xabi Alonso. And I also like uh, Amin Adli. I think he is a huge talent. He showed last year what he can do. But now, after overcoming this injury, he seems to have really picked up another layer of, uh, of quality and performances. Uh, Wirtz makes everyone better. Um, Diaby looks good. So going forward, they, they're great. I mean, we knew that. Um, and maybe they even have a chance of, of winning a trophy this year, which could be the Europa League, uh, where I think they should be seen as perhaps not the favorite, but one of the contenders to win the competition. They're playing against Union. Saint-Gilloise. Vanquishes Union. <laughs> Brighton too. Um <laughs> They're just great to watch. They're really fun to watch. I'm not sure they're quite as fun as the 2002 Leverkusen <laughs> just yet, but they're certainly one of the best Leverkusens in recent in recent memory. Yeah. And 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 that's uh, sad about a club who has a long tradition of of having great players, of of playing um, skillful, entertaining uh, football. So there is a lot of criticism about this kind of clubs like Leverkusen. Um, Werk Club. What's a what's a factory team? How how would you translate it? Company company, company team. team. Yeah. Uh, a workers team. A workers yeah. team. Uh, um, so, uh, but but uh, they they really have built a tradition in in in, in good football um, and and played it over the years. Not every time, but but now they. And I think they have a chance for the Champions League, Christoph. I think it it didn't yeah, it didn't look right. realistic a couple of weeks ago, but. Uh, you see that Union and Freiburg are struggling a little bit to keep keep their positions in the top four. Uh, Leipzig and Frankfurt uh, also not quite as as strong perhaps as they were um, earlier this season. So, yeah, I think the, there's a there's an opportunity for Leverkusen to take advantage. But let's move to the basement of, of, of the table where a lot was, was Your going. Your home. My home. I, so it was Your a... Your spiritual a, home. 
<laughs> yeah, and I so my mood this weekend. But but let's talk about uh, uh, Bochum and and Stuttgart later on. Let's start at Hoffenheim, uh, <laughs> where but maybe that's that's one for our um, uh, learning Fußball Deutsch. It's it's so simple, but it's a. Um, it's a chant, and I don't know if there is an equivalent uh, that, that fans are singing in 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 England. Learning Fußball Deutsch with beer and honey. It's Auswärtssieg, Auswärtssieg, and um, Auswärtssieg, Auswärtssieg. And the funny thing, it was uh, the Hoffenheim uh, supporters were singing Auswärtssieg, Auswärtssieg means away win at home um, because there were so many Schalke supporters. They 10,000 or 12,000, very loud as, uh, as always. But um, didn't do them any good, though. Hoffenheim won. <laughs> so... Um, Third win in a row, as you said, it's um, it looks a bit like um, problems are solved for Hoffenheim right now. Or what? What's your impression? Yeah, they look good. They look um, they look like a different team. They have a good energy. And they have a good togetherness. Uh, we know that Hoffenheim are a mid-table team. They shouldn't be in the uh, relegation fight. And Pellegrino and Matarazzo, after this terrible start of five defeats has turned things around or at least has brought back a bit of normal service because yeah, I think Hoffenheim are too good to go down. Uh, they wouldn't be missed, I think, much in the league, but as a team, they are they're pretty decent. Uh, and for Schalke, it was a big setback because not only did they lose this home game, in inverted commas, but they lost important ground in the title race with... Uh, Yes, I'm sorry to bring it up the again. title race. Sorry, in the, <laughs> in the relegation battle. Um, with yes, sorry to bring that up again. Uh, Stuttgart winning at Bochum, which makes Schalke defeat all the more painful. Schalke are back at the bottom. Uh, the Schalke team that we talked about in pretty glowing terms in recent weeks, saying that maybe uh, there is light at the end of the shaft and there are... <laughs> <laughs> digging themselves out of that pit. But no, they're right back in it again. And uh, it's, looking, it's looking quite grim with the other teams picking up a little bit of form. Yeah, and um, Thomas Reis, um, the manager, said he was shocked and sports director uh, Peter Knebel was, uh, decided to, to go home with the team, not in his private car as he had, uh, would have done normally, But in the team bus, I don't know what what happened in the team bus. What what he wanted to uh, to tell his players or his coaches, or if he wanted to encourage them, I I don't know. It's the mystery of the um, home trip in the Schalke team bus with Peter Knebel. Maybe someday we know about it. Yeah, but let's let's uh, um, uh, talk about uh, uh, the game. I I don't want to talk about it's um, Stuttgart's three-two uh, win at um, at Bochum. The re result suggests that there was drama, like a hard-fought battle, but in fact, it was Stuttgart was by far the better team. Um, uh, um, Bochum 
uh, got an equalizer by a penalty. That uh, penalty was correct. It was deserved, and uh, but it was um, the first big chance they had, and um, and then uh, they they scored a, the their second goal. Uh, five minutes from time or so and couldn't create anything uh, in the end but so Stuttgart w looked really good and uh, before in this week I, I looked up these um, there are these tables where you can see which which expected points teams have in the Bundesliga and also Premier League and, 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 and so on and I already had the idea that Stuttgart probably had been a bit unlucky this season. But I was actually shocked to see that under average circumstances, they would have um, 40, 15 points more. And um, so you can say that they were dramatically unlucky. So I was wondering if... Um, Sebastian Hoeneß, the their new manager, um, who came in um, after uh, ju just uh, this week and took to them to two victories in the quarterfinal of the German Cup at second division Nuremberg and now in Stuttgart, is like one of these clever guys um, uh, who, who buys shares when they are low. And you know that they almost surely will go up. Or is that uh, an over-interpretation? What do you think? Well, I remember you talking about Stuttgart's XG problems or their lack of fortune. And I looked into the numbers as well. Um, it depends, I guess, on the what system, what model you look at. But I looked at the FB ref numbers, courtesy of Opta, and I found that the expected goals are more or less in line. Um, there is no ma massive difference. Where there's a big uh, divergence is the expected goals against, where they conceded yeah. seven and a half more than they should have. But then I thought, is it just bad luck or is it something else? And then I looked at the um, post-shot XG, which takes into account the quality of the chance if um, it actually goes towards goal. In other words, it's a bit of a measurement of a goalkeeper's ability to save the shots and there Stuttgart have massively underperformed. They should have saved seven and a half goals more or less more. So either they got super unlucky with all these finishes or they have under average keepers. Yeah, they have two. I mean, they, they changed their goalkeeper. Now it's uh, it's Bredlo in, in, in goal. Florian Müller is, is, is on the bench now. And uh, so, yeah. But uh, but in a way, when you looked, uh, when you watched this uh, game, it, it looked like a, um, a, a team uh, desperately uh, struggling against relegation. And it ended up very solid mid-table team. And um, so to, for me, it's um, the relegation. So it's quite demoralizing, huh? Yeah. It, it, it says um, what you could think for many uh, months or so is 
that the three worst teams in the Bundesliga are Schalke, Hertha and Bochum. And and one of uh, one of them maybe has a chance uh, the chance to go to these uh, relegation games against the third of the second division. But let's see. Hertha also lost one uh, 0 at home uh, against Leipzig. This <laughs> seventh win in seven games at the Olympia Stadium for RB Leipzig. So they like to travel there. But but there is a team we rarely talk about. And maybe they are, they are another candidate uh, to join the terrible three. What about Augsburg? Augsburg lost 3-1 at home against Cologne, who, who looked like out of trouble, uh, out of reach for the Abstiegsgespenst. Have you already talked about the Abstiegsgespenst? Learning Fußball Deutsch with beer and honey. What is the Abstiegsgespenst? <laughs> it's a relegation ghost, but it's uh, it's something that you're afraid of, I guess. It's not just the relegation itself, but also the the scary nature of what it means to go down. It's so scary that it's like a ghost. Yeah. So the Abstiegsgespenst, the relegation ghost, is is like probably also. Uh, Specter of relegation. Getting under the, the, the skin of Augsburg. Or, or, or what do you think? You think so? I don't know. They have still six points between them and the relegation playoff spot. Seven between them and Hertha. I think they should be okay, really. I mean, against Köln, the sort of game that you perhaps to expect them to do better. But... Um, I feel that Augsburg, especially at home, even though they lost this game at home, they always seem to find those edgy 1-0 wins against teams that are slightly below them that just keep them up. Uh, they've won eight games already so far. Um, I think two more might be even enough to stay up. So I think I think that should be okay, actually. But you wanted to talk about one of their stri one of their non-scoring goal scorers later on but i have one one fun fact um so the the obvious tactics against augsburg is give them the ball because i found something very funny since january 2021 um they have never won a game where they were more on the ball <laughs> than the opposing team uh, that was in 14 14 games i mean they tend to to give the ball to uh, to the other team but um uh, that was um yeah uh, this time again uh, not not very helpful yes um and we uh, i mean we we were i was talking that we are going from pep to peppy Because um, U.S. national player uh, Ricardo Pepe, um, who was um, at Augsburg, and Augsburg paid a lot of money for him, so it said about 16 million euros, and he is on loan now in Groningen in the Netherlands, where he is playing pretty successful. He's uh, scored 10 goals, but he is very unhappy. Uh, about uh, the idea that one day he might come back to Augsburg. Yeah, and he's, he gave an interview to Football International, or if that's the Dutch expression, Dutch uh, 
pronunciation uh, with apologies to any Dutch listeners. And he said, for me, it's clear I do not want to go back to Augsburg. I've already let the club know that. I've been promised and promised things that have not been fulfilled. Then it is simple. Then you have to look for another club. And his agent has also been quoted in saying um, they didn't handle this investment properly. The manager didn't speak to him, etc., etc. Um, so, yeah, they seem to be working on an, on an exit. Uh, Augsburg and uh, Stefan Reuter, the CEO, have said, no, no, we, we like to, to keep him. He's an important player. And if we want to sell him, then first we need an, an offer. We haven't got any offers. And even if we take any offers, then we will discuss it in private, not in public. So a little bit of an, yeah, uh, an unseemly spat. Uh, it's not unusual for players on loan to be a bit more free with their opinions. And uh, in this case, I guess some genuine disappointment that things haven't turned out better. Hard to know who, if at all, is to blame for this. Uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Augsburg, I think, for a, for a centre forward, not the easiest place to play in, because they don't create many chances, and it's going to be it's going to be hard for you. So let, let's see how that works out for Ricardo Pepe and uh, Augsburg. Uh, not an easy place to play, and maybe not an easy place to leave either. We'll have to see. Um, we have, we have two two uh, games left uh, that we briefly mentioned. One is uh, was the um, uh, Mainz 05 against Werder Bremen. Uh, that was a very dire match until the 85th minute when it was nil-nil and then all hell broke loose. Uh, uh, both teams scoring twice in the in the last minutes of the game. So a lot of uh, great entertainments toward the end, like in a classical B-movie. And um, and we had this 2-0 um, uh, win of um, Borussia Mönchengladbach to the delight of our producer York uh, beating Wolfsburg. Um, some protests, again, Benzibaini and Tyram because they're probably leaving on a free transfer towards the end of the season. But you you have made an observation about another kind of protest at the Borussia Park. The Gladbach fans were throwing lovingly painted Easter eggs onto the pitch to protest against the lack of 3.30 kickoff times for their team. Gladbach have only played or will only play nine times at the traditional kickoff times at Saturday afternoon. This is to do with, um, I guess, the popularity because the uh, two PV TV channels who share the rights want to put them on um, at different times when they can market their games a bit more, whether that's on a Friday or a Sunday or Saturday evening. And that's why they've hardly played on Saturday afternoon. So... I guess it just shows that Gladbach, even though they are quite anonymous in the table, still have a very big following who need to be monetized when it comes to uh, picking the, the schedules for their kickoff times. It was a creative protest and we should mention that no uh, players, uh, no chickens got hurt in this protest. So everything is okay. <laughs> 
more protests uh, were uh, in other stadiums, um, for example in Dortmund, but also in the Olympia Stadium in Berlin. Uh, there is protest against the potential investor in the German Football League. There are some talks going on. And I think, Raphael, we can make a, uh, can make a recommendation um, uh, within our program um, that is uh, around German football politics. What is it? What is it? Yeah, that's right, Christoph. We talked about the uh, famous or infamous 50 plus one rule, depending on your position in that uh, big debate about the way German clubs are structured and organized and are basically very difficult to take over and invest in. And we spoke to the St. Pauli CEO, Uke Göttlich, at length. St. Pauli, of course, very much the informed team in Bundesliga too, with their very exciting coach Fabian Hützler who perhaps we should actually ask to come on the show uh, sometime. Let's see if that we can make that happen. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, check out that uh, special episode for supporters only with Oke Göttlich discussing the pros and not the cons of 50 plus one, the cons we were discussing or we're trying to discuss, <laughs> but he was very pro and very adamant that that was the way forward. So do give that a listen. We will also be back with a special supporters club members uh, pod for the Champions League game from Manchester City against Bayern on Wednesday a quick look back and then of course our regular roundup on Monday uh, in the meantime uh, please keep supporting us by tuning in by subscribing or if you can by becoming an ultra uh, where you will have the one and only chance not to just have us in your ears but also in your hands and sharing those very intimate coffee break and breakfast moments. Uh, a mug with two mugs on it, me and Christoph, emblazed on that lovely exclusive coffee mug from Beer and Honey that only the ultras with a season ticket can get. So if you can, subscribe, become an ultra, and a mug will be on the way to you. But that's all we got time for this week. Thanks for listening. I was Raphael Honigstein. And I was Christoph Biermann, and we say bye-bye. Bye-bye. Beer and Honey, the German football podcast. <laughs> <laughs>